Okay, Psalm 3, if you're guessing, when would you use a psalm like this? This is a, this is a popular psalm in the liturgy of the church. If you were going to, if you were going to fig, try to figure out when you'd say this during the day, when would you say it? These guys are very practical, you know. Nothing? <coughs> oh, there is, a, there is a heading, but that's used <coughs> later. It is, it is, in fact, there. Um, good, and, and after that it says? There you go. So uh, this is traditionally bad, both in the East and the West, uh, a psalm in the morning. It's the first psalm in Orthodox Matins, and it was also in St. Benedict's Rule, one of the... Um, one of the uh, psalms that you use in the morning. It's interesting, uh, you know, the, the monastic houses, the rule of the monastic houses, people, they don't know how to structure, they don't know how to live, they don't know how to structure their lives. It was very interesting, you know, the monasteries, you know, for whatever ill they had, um, something like, you know, St. Benedict's Rule kind of tells you how to structure your prayer life and how to structure your community life. That's what it does. So, um, anyway, they would pray this in the morning. And I'm, I'm actually always struck in the morning Eucharist how, um, that even for the pastors, but I presume this happens for other people too, you kind of come in sometimes jumbled up, but about the time you get to the body and blood, things kind of calm down and life goes on just a little bit better than it did before. So, um, anyway, this was uh, a morning psalm. Now, if you had to say, did you read it? Or do we need to read it? Did you read it? Yeah, did you read ahead? All right, maybe we should, I mean, it's not long. We could zip through it here. Um, and Carol, you know, the inscription, do you have more at your, save me, O oh Lord, do you get, oh, there you go. <laughs> I, just, I just keep, absolutely, I just, know that's completely cool. Did you, did, you, um, did you get any more clues in your heading on what, the, what this was all about? Yeah, this is what's this is what the that's what the that's what the tradition is that this is uh, when Absalom uh, tried to take over. So you have an inversion of authority, and you have both on a on a king and prince basis, and also on a father son basis. Um, so that's about as bad as it gets, you know. Uh, Lord, how you've multiplied! Lord, how my enemies have multiplied! Many rise up against me. Many there are who say of me, God will not bring him to victory. But thou, Lord, art a shield to cover me. Thou art my glory, and thou dost raise my head high. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep, and I wake up again, for the Lord upholds me. I will not fear the nations and their myriads who sat on me from all sides. Rise up, Lord, save me, O my God. Thou dost strike all my foes across the face and break the teeth of the wicked. Thine is the victory, O Lord, and may thy blessing rest upon thy people. So there you go. Now we just have to figure out how that works out for you. Uh, psalm 1, can you remember it? We did it. Psalm 1, first psalm. Uh, this is only because you don't want to impose too much order on things, but let's face it, things don't fall out of heaven, you know, completely formed. And the psalms are a prayer book, and so they kind of um, work in a particular way. So if you had to say Psalm 1, what's it about? It is about comfort. The broadest possi possible stroke. What's Psalm 1 about? There's this and there's that. There's 
good, there's righteous and unrighteous. There's good and there's evil. So the first psalm is just the big, broad brush. There is righteousness, and if you're in the way of righteousness, then you'll be happy, blessed, life will work out, the Lord is for you, and uh, then the big, broad brush. And if you're anti-righteous, if you're anti-Christ, if you're sinful, if you go your own way, then life won't work out so well. So Psalm 1, you get this big... um, you get this big uh, moral burst, good versus evil. Then Psalm 2. We haven't done Psalm 2, but it's utterly famous. So Psalm 2 is about what? Or whom? Good. So the second one, so the first one, you have this big moral sweep. There's good and there's evil. So it's good versus evil. Then the second Psalm, you have uh, Jesus versus evil. You get a theological interpretation. So there's good and evil, then there's Jesus. So good versus evil, Jesus versus evil, and then uh, Psalm 3 is what? Broad sweep. You. Yeah, it's you. It's you versus evil. It just kind of trickles down, just kind of, this is your funnel paragraph that every ninth grader has to write. You'll learn to write it too as soon as your kid goes to ninth grade again. So uh, it's good versus evil, Christ versus evil, and you versus evil. Uh, we like our evil at a distance, you know, so we can read Psalm 1 and we can kind of talk about how, you know, okay, yeah, we sort of, that's somebody else's psalm. And then a, even Christ is at a distance in a way in Psalm 2. Yeah, he'll take care of all that. But the reality is, is um, if you're going to be a Christian, evil is going to find you. And um, if it finds Christ, if it happens to Christ, it happens to you. If it finds Christ, it'll find you. So the reality is, you wake up every day, um, and you don't quite know how the day is going to play out, but uh, many days, most days perhaps, um, things will not go well, and that's what you get a description of here, and then also a description of how you get out of it. So, um, I'm just curious if you've ever felt this way. Verse 1, Lord, how my enemies have multiplied. Lord, how my enemies have multiplied. You ever had this feeling? This is one of the most common things that pastors hear. Somebody gets their shorts all bunched up, and then they come in the office, and they start like this. I and all my friends. It's me, but a lot of other people feel this way. You know, there's an awful lot of us who think that, now if you were me, because it's my favorite game, you'd be me, <laughs> What's the great defense against that? What should a pastor say? What's the great defense? Bring him out, bring him out. You're an old rapper from way back, Kirby. <laughs> bring him out, bring him out. Had a girl. Had a way. Pastor Gay pulled up this morning, listened to Kanye, and he opened his door, and there happened to be kids opening their door at the same time. So I just. Fortunately, it was Jesus Walks. <laughs> Nevertheless. This week at the pastor's conference, Pastor Gaines is going to argue that Kanye is the fifth evangelist. People of your generation said Bach was the fifth evangelist? Yeah. There you go. That's actually, that's exactly what they're going to, to which we're going to say. (laughs) What are you going to do? 
<laughs> Bach would be a modern. <laughs> Tony Bennett. <coughs> Frank Sinatra. Frank, Frank Sinatra sings too. That's that is that that is that's right. Yes, yesterday at Ministry Council. Have you seen Jay Z at Madison Square Garden? Have you watched it on HBO? I mean, my argument was when he says, "Throw your hands up," and everybody does this. That's the liturgy. Everybody, it's like throw your hands. It's like, and then everybody knows all the words by heart. It's like that's the liturgy. People hunger for the liturgy. If you believe me, if Jay Z was ordained, he could serve here. <laughs> After a fashion. <laughs> All right, so, uh, but I digress. So, I mean, I, you've probably felt this too. Haven't you ever been, you know, well, see, now I can't say to Christmas dinner because Kirby will say, what? We always go to my parents' house for Christmas. Why do you always say that? We go to my parents' house. For, it's not, it's, it's fine there. It's like, so I'm not going to say that, am I? We'll just say any family reunion. <clears throat> yes, okay, that's right. There, struck a nerve, Maddie. All right. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, if you belong to any Cub Scout pack or been to church or whatever, um, see how my, or been to work, for crying out loud. It's just like, now why does it feel like there's so many people? Why does it feel like that? Why? What do you think? In your own experience, just not read the Psalms. Don't you ever wake up and feel like this? Maybe you don't. Good, why do you feel overwhelmed? There's just too much going on. One of the, I mean, it's a problem living in Wheaton. Everybody's just a little bit oversubscribed, right? Either people got too many things going on, so nothing really gets attention, and, you know, good. And it doesn't always just need to be people then, too, right? It can be people. You can have a lot of people who trouble you, or you can have a lot of issues that trouble you, or you can have a few people who make a lot of noise that trouble you. Um, and sort of the closer it gets, the harder it is, right? And God just kind of keeps telling how my enemies would multiply. Many rise up against me. Here would be step two of uh, at least being a pastor. You can check. But I live in New Wheaton. I know this has got to be true for you. Many rise up against me. Many there are who say of me, God will not bring him to victory. So what's happening there? Partly, yes. Now, she said gossip, but now press the gossip a little bit harder. It's gossip with, with a twist. Uh, because when people say, God won't let you, or God's going to strike you down, or God knows you're, what are they doing? Yes. Speaking for God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're speaking for God with judgment. Now, what's the problem with speaking for God? Now, so you're not God, so at least you're not speaking in the first person. However, from time to time, people do speak for God. Um, And not just pastors. You speak for God from time to time. So what's the downside of speaking for God? Good. You better get it right. Why is it so important to get it right? Yes, right. That that that's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> she doesn't want it to get turned into salt. That's actually very good. What's the penalty in the Old Testament for being a false prophet? When you say, thus says the Lord, and the Lord didn't say it. And feel free if you want to go home and read Jeremiah, you know. Yeah, what's the penalty? It is, by stoning. Yeah. If you say you're a prophet, or you say you speak for God, and you don't, the Old Testament penalty was stoning, was killed on the spot. Uh, woe to the prophets who say thus and that, and they speak with their own tongue, they do not speak with a tongue from God. I mean, you can read it all through the prophets, because this is a very, actually, I fell asleep last night thinking about um, when St. Paul talks about Jesus appearing to him, and then all the other people in, across the course of my life who have told me that Jesus appeared to them. To which my first question is, you remember, what's your first diagnostic question when somebody says, Jesus appeared to me? What's your first question? Yes, even more. Exactly. I, th what, what color are his eyes? And then when people say, blue, you know they, it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> he was a Jew. <laughs> when a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus appears to you, run the other way. You know? It's always, it's always, it is very interesting, though, when you ask people, people say, Jesus appeared to me. I mean, the first question I would say is, really, what did he look like? I had long blonde hair and blue eyes. There you go. Was that you again? Whoa! And she's a she's Kanye and Lady Gaga. Next, she's going to talk to me about pink spinning around on that thing, making everybody wet. What'd you do? That's old. Oh my goodness, you little hipster, you. Good for you. All right. So, I mean, so this is how, this is not an uncommon sort of evil. This is actually kind of, kind of common evil. Um, we just talk about evil just for a little bit. Um, what do you know about it? How does it feel when it first appears? Sorry? It is scary. And that's how he talks about it. How does he say? He, he, actually, the, the Hebrew is very technical there. It says, there's a lot of them, and I'm surrounded. There's no way out. That's what the text says. Whoa, they're everywhere, you know? This is kind of Custer's last stand kind of talk. Good. Yes, you can't get a line on it. Whoa, I and all my friends, blah, blah, blah. Or you wouldn't believe. Or my favorite thing that's been said to me, said, said to me in my last year, there's a lot of us and we're coming for you. That was, that was, the, be that was the best line of the year. To which you say, well, well, I, well, you don't quite say that, because here's the thing, that, yes, well, well, we'll have to talk about that, because we have to kind of get to the end of the line, but, um, well, see, that's as far, well, I don't know, see, that's the, see, but this is the question, but see, you have to, what I'm trying to get you to feel that, when somebody says to, it, to, to you, there's a lot of us, and we're coming for you, okay, so partly, what it feels like is the first, is the first, now, that's either the truth or a lie, so that's kind of the first of it. But the, the, but the way it feels first is surrounded, scary, chaotic, no way out. And what are you going to say? Yeah. 
So that's kind of interesting too. sort of runs in the in the realm of um, angels of darkness disguised as angels of light. So so I discern for you can be the kindest thing somebody can say, or perhaps uh, one of the most demonic things they can say. Because it's to draw you in and then do you in. Yes, please. Yes, and, and that part, partly, every sin is betrayal. Every sin is the Judas kiss, you see. Because at the bottom, at the bottom of all things, um, there's only people either for you or against you. Psalm 1, there's good, there's evil. There's Christ, Psalm 2, there's Christ, there's Antichrist. There's you as the Lord, and there's everything anti-Lord, right? And to be betrayed, every, every, sin, is, every sin is the Judas sin. There's only one sin, and that partly is why this is gaining great minds from last Monday Thursday, which I will steal because I'm preaching this Monday Thursday, because he didn't preach it. He only said it in the sacristy. Technicality. But she did get my sushi, didn't she? There you go. Um, at the moment, uh, at the moment, how did you say it? At the moment of his great of the great betrayal, Jesus gives his greatest kiss. At the moment of his great betrayal, Jesus gives his greatest kiss. So at precisely the moment that Judas betrays him, he gives himself body and blood to the disciples. He just, I mean, you have to think of it. I'm not talking about you know in the same second, but in the same encounter, which in some ways is richer. Here he is. He knows what's going on. Who's going to do it? The one who dips with me. Is it I? Is it this long thing. I mean, it's all this buildup and all this, you know, toward going toward exactly what you described as his betrayal. And then, the, and then Jesus, what's the Jesus reply? Utter mercy. He gives himself to me. Right? Which doesn't mean there's not the utter law coming. Because frankly, one of the reasons people avoid psalms like this is because of how this ends. This is you know, not on the scale of bash their children against the rocks, but it gets close. Break all their teeth out, which break their jaw and break all their teeth out, which you can imagine is both a disfigurement in the in the ancient world. It can't be fixed if you break your jaw. It can't be like they can't wire your jaw shut and put it back. So to break their jaw and to break their teeth is to both di- disfigure, and then you have the practical issue of you can't eat anymore, right? So I mean, it's a it's a kind of a punishing. You know, at the end of this. So, um, now we pushed evil. I just want to push the evil a little bit farther. So there's, there's evil that um, appears. There's evil that feels chaotic. There's evil that feels scary. And then there's evil that is like when you check your blind spot and you didn't think a car was there and suddenly it's there, which gives you that little boop, like, whoa, I didn't, glad I didn't go over there. Yes. Right. Yes, please.
going to say, did you know she was the mayor of Carroll Stream? How many years? You must have been bad as a child. <laughs> 16, 16 years? God bless you. That is a, wow. Okay, let's let's press a little bit because it's very helpful. Because I actually, there is there is how evil feels beyond the initial, right? So just t let's just press your analogy a little bit because um, I think it'll work. Did you have any any of these kinds of things that went on for a year or two or three or four or five? Well, I don't think we ever had that. Did you have some that went? Well, let me put it another way then. When you had them, um, when. Yes, right, right, right. Well, let me ask you this. When you engaged it, um, you had an initial reaction and then a later reaction, right? I suspect. So your initial reaction was, oh, man. What a mess. Yeah, right. But by you get to the end, by the time you work it to the end, how do you feel then? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I'll also, um, my guess is you still don't have, now it, it is true, um, you're about the third person who said that to me just this morning, but I will say there is a way that the evil becomes seen for what it is, which is less than equal to God. Or there's a way that evil becomes boring, or it becomes common, or it becomes background noise, or it becomes less threatening at some point. I mean, people can only threaten you for so long until, and this is true in almost any situation, um, that people can only threaten you for about so long until you finally do sort of say, you got to probably put up or shut up. That's coming from an old experienced teacher, isn't it? <laughs> Just occurred to me where this came from, right? You have kids challenging you in class, and you let it go for a while, you let it go for a while, but at some point, man, I'm glad you're not my mother. <laughs> the facts have been stated. Let's move on. Hmm. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. That's, that's right. Yes. Yes, that little codicil from the cannabis. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's right. So we had three of you say that now, which I think is a very good, both human and especially Christian instinct, which is, 
Try not to react to all the chatter. Try not to react to being surrounded. Try not to react to the chaos. Try not to react to the confusion. Try to get the facts out, which is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 18, for example. You know, come and if you can work it out, okay. But otherwise, bring two or three objective people who can kind of, kind of help things through. Um, what happens is, is that it takes the edge off evil. It doesn't mean that you won't still get dinged up. I think what people don't uh, realize is when you touch evil, you actually give it life. You know, you give it incarnation, if you will. It's an anti-incarnation, but when you, it's Psalm 1. You remember how Psalm 1, you're walking by, then you stop, then you sit down, then you touch it, and with your touching, you give it flesh and blood. It possesses you, that's how the scriptures talk, and you become its instrument. You, in the way that the second person of the Trinity incarnate, incarnated flesh from Mary's womb, you incarnate evil and you give evil uh, a reality. It's partly why I read you what I read you this morning. We do not fight against flesh and blood. It's not just other people. We fight against powers and principalities in the darkness of the cosmos. Right? So it's this very difficult thing where you, you have to keep evil in perspective and yet you're always respectful of it. It's, um, you know, it's Luther's thing about the devil. You give him his due, but not too much. So if you can remember, um, as Pining said when he was here, um, a lot of the devil is just puff and puff. So you show him proper respect, and then not more than that. So for example, when we go as pastors to do things that are a little sketchy or jank, you got that? I'm still one ahead of you. My d oh, sure. That's what people always say when they don't have the hip lingo. Jank. Have you got run into jank yesterday? Y yet? No. It's a great word. My daughter says, so jank. And I said, like, jank, jank. One thing I love about my older daughter, she translates for me. Sketchy without being creepy. I'm like, that is a good word. Sketchy without being creepy is a good word. This apparently isn't here yet. Well, see, you'll be able, like Paris Fashion, you'll be able to use this two for two years before anybody gets to Chicago. So just, just keep going. <laughs> Really? Well, here's the thing. You can jank all your friends, and that's going to all work out. There you go. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. Don't even bother with it, because it's already, if it's made it to Disney Channel, you don't want it. You just don't, you know, it's, uh. <laughs> oh, you had to ask. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. No, you won't. You can look online, no? With that new computer Jack bought you. Do you know there's alternative dictionaries you can look in? It's very helpful if you teach confirmation. All right, anyway. Part of what you have to do is get, you have to get evil in perspective. So it's a real thing. You wake up in the morning, evil is there. It, it can be frightening at first. It eventually loses some of its... Um, scary power, but it actually is a real force and it's always there, and it does sort of drone on and can wear you down. So there was sort of the, so the best thing is, is you need to flush it, you know? It needs to be, it needs to be pushed out, pushed away. 
Go. Yep. <clears throat> All right, so that, and you have another, there's another example too. So the question is, do we, do you forgive this evil even as it sits there? Can you think of another example? Uh, just for your technical use, people dispute whether or not Jesus, whether or not Judas was at the Holy Supper at that point. In the narrative, it's mildly unclear. It's nothing hangs on it too much. People like to argue about things, argue about it. Because then you, if you gave it to his, if you gave Judas the supper to his damnation, you could be sure that when he killed himself, he went to hell, and that sort of wraps up your sermon and put a bow on it and preach against people. By God, you can get suicidal people and you get evil people all in the same big basket, and your life is still, yeah, right. So, which isn't so good. Um, actually, the the fact that the new hymnal has praise for people who. as is Luther's thing that Amos found where he said, I guess it's me. <laughs> uh, as is Luther's thing where he said um, he didn't really kill himself, the devil got a hold of his hand and did it to him, which is a great comfort. Um, so, you know, when there used to be suicides, it's like straight to hell with no barrel in the graveyard and the pastor can't show up, although he might come to the house to help people out just to say, you still have a possibility, but I'm sure your brother's in hell. Well, that seems to turn out to be very pastoral or forgiving. Because um, the reality is, you know, who knows what people do when they, you know. I just heard again, you know, people jump off the Golden Gate Bridge like every 10 days or something like that. And you're kind of you're thinking, that's a long way down. Um, you know, people, things change. Uh, so, you know, don't, you should never, you should never say anybody that, of, of anybody there in hell, that's the Lord's, that's the Lord's deal. You can certainly say people there in heaven. But back to your question, which is, there's actually even uh, a crisper one about Jesus forgiving people when they're doing ill to him, which is? Precost, while they're nailing him down. While they're nailing him down, Father, forgive them, they don't know what to do. So the question is, do we always forgive evil? Yes, we always forgive evil because um, evil always, or because um, forgiveness always waits there in advance. You're always in forgiveness mode. However, what people don't understand is it's not, it doesn't take effect without confession. Because here's the thing. Without confessing, you have no need of forgiveness. People who don't confess, yeah, they just, why would you, what, what, what do you need? If you've got no sins, what do you need forgiveness for, right? Which is, what's that? Having forgiveness ready? Yes, it does. It, it absolutely does. Good. It's, so you get this, you get this big bucket of forgiveness here, and it waits to leak out over people who are sinners. Now, why does it keep you from evil? Why? Thank you. You're, you can handle it in the justice way or the mercy way. Forgiveness is pure mercy way. This is how we'd prefer to resolve things. Break their jaw, smash their teeth. The problem with that is, is that's a very difficult, the problem is, is it's the Anguzeski problem. <coughs> it's the Solomon problem. It's the Solomon problem because 
because it's the, it's the God must certainly be against your problem. They're all the same problem, which is you better be right. If you do this, you better be right. Why? Because when you make that, you kill somebody. If it's pure justice, it's pure death. There is a way that you die as well. You bear that, um, you bear that responsibility. So when you speak for justice, you better be speaking for God and not for yourself, which is, which is a mild twist on your thing that you said before about, uh, so you didn't say this, but this is all the stuff that ran around in my head like gerbils when you said it, about judgment. It's like, well, gerbil running through that tunnel. Keep, keep going. He's in the little ball right now going around. So people rake, often say, you know, don't judge. Right? And they'll even quote you Jesus. Judge not that you not be judged. Of course, you could say that another way, which is, well, which what Jesus says, judge and the same judgment will be meted out to you, which means when you judge, you better have the right standard by which you judge, or you better speak the way Jesus speaks, for example. Don't want to be judged what? Mental. Judgmental. I'm like, judge, mental. Mental. What? I married to her. I don't understand what she says. Yes, it does exist. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, right. So, yeah. It's a, real, it's a real issue. So here's the evil. Okay. Now, um, if you're way over here, you're probably not even aware of it. Like, you know, you haven't thought of Haiti yet this morning. Probably most of you, right? But, you know, if you get closer to it, you start to reverberate. Here's the danger point. I've actually had this conversation already this morning, too. It's been a busy morning. Um... Now I should get right here. What's the danger of being right there? What's the, what's the danger of being right here? Well, it might be um, balance. Did you see the Walenda man go 200 feet up in the air yesterday? And then there, you remember Carl Willenda, his father, once said, life off the wire is just filler. <laughs> boy, till he fell. My friend Carol. Say it again. You've been out, you're out of my, as soon as you go criminal, you're out of my area of expertise. You need to see a lawyer. See, this is like people like Candle try to trap me into talking about the government. <laughs> see, I don't know anything about being the mayor or, or the executioner. So, um, you know, I'll let that lie for a little bit because I just want to, I just want to engage it. It actually is a whole other discussion with different kind of parameters. I just want to take your own waking up in the morning with your crabby husband next to you. Theoretically, of course. <clears throat> See, the danger is, if you're over here, you don't care. The danger is here, if you're in here, you're dead. 
The danger right here is what? I mean, there's a reason that the Vatican gets all the exorcists in the world and brings them to Rome in the summertime to train and pray. There's a reason for that. Because if you rub up against evil, it wears you down. If you rub up against it every day, and it's not in the wearing you down, what happens to you? You can become open to being complicit to it. You give in to it, right? Yes, you are. Good. So we'll have two categories. We'll have Kirby's evil. They would, but not at Christmas at your house. Okay, so here's the thing. Yes, I do. Yes, Kirby. So, here's the thing. <clears throat> the question would be, which of these, <laughs> which doesn't belong and why? <laughs> there's, Kirby's, there's Kirby's list of evil and there's Christ's list of evil, and which are the only ones you can be judgmental about or make judgments about? The ones that matter. So if your sister is a horrible liar, maybe I said that. As soon as I said that, I thought, you know, that's not going to go well for me. Uh, I know, I know. That's like, oof. Yeah, it is on tape, too. If my sister's a horrible liar, and I say, you're a horrible liar, have I done good by her or done, done evil by her? Thank you. Yes, to name people's evil. Often what happens, and we heard it again yesterday. It's just it's been such a couple of interesting days. Um, yesterday, there was a pastor who named a sin. The report was, you are unloving. Somebody was actually told that they were in deep sin, and then the response was, that is so unloving. To which I say, au contraire. To let your lying sister continue to lie is to hate her. To let your husband continue to beat you is to hate him. To let your best friend who's having an affair continue to have an affair unexposed is to hate your best friend. Do you understand? There's an objective, good, Psalm 1, embodied in Christ, Psalm 2, which is to be put into your life, Psalm 3. Well, to which I would say, take it out. One, uh, so that would mean two things. Um, if you're an adulterer, you probably shouldn't give a lot of advice on adult, avoiding adultery. That would be one. Number two would be, um, you might want to play from Jesus' list instead of whosever list this might happen to be. So Jesus' list, not your list. But the problem with log out of your own eye is it doesn't take, oh, I don't know, 11 years. It takes going to confession once or twice. So take the, you're right, exactly. Take the log out of your own eye so that you can, what's the rest of the story? See clearly and make judgments according.
according to God's judgment for which you have the Ten Commandments, which we're going to do Sunday morning at 1015. So then it follows that you can never judge, and so we're always left in evil. So every man's free to do what he wants. So let me Lutheranize you, which is, we s Luther, we sin with every good work. So what we have to do is recognize that logs come quickly into our own lives. They sprout and they grow. You're a mom, right? You corrected your kids growing up, even knowing you yourself were imperfect. In fact, sometimes as parents, we're most sensitive to the things that we were worst at, right? Right? And what now, and I know the answer to this, but I'll ask you anyway. Whatever your particular thing was that you were worst at, when you corrected your kid, did you do that because you loved your kid or you hated your kid? Yeah, of course. But you weren't trying to ruin their fun, right? So, so here's the thing. So you're exactly right, which is we're real human beings. Now you see already how this takes a little bit of nuance then to live the Christian life. In fact, it takes what the saints would call humility, right? Which is, and, but it, you get that by judging with the judgment of Jesus and not with the judgment of Barbara Scott or Janet or whoever, right? That's how you get to it. So the, the problem that I'm, I, and the log out of your own eye is very valuable, but it can be used as a reason never to call a spade a spade, right? Because what happens if I love you enough to say, um, you're a liar, and you respond to me, well, you're a liar too. I mean, well, so what? Now we got two liars and no hope, right? <laughs> what? It's a standoff, right? And but it's a standoff of death, right? So the proper response would be, "You're a liar." You're like, "I am too," and you're a liar too. You're like, "Right, I am." And then we'd say, "We should probably go to the Eucharist, or at least seek gaining for confession," right? And that would be the. So you're exactly right because it's very, what you said is so honest. It's very practical, but if we if we if we presume that we're perfect, or we can't have a perfect forgiveness, we'll have no forgiveness at all. So, yes, please. I had a girl. It's the Ohio State University. So what does Jesus say? How does Jesus sort the problem out? How, what does Jesus say? Well, I don't want to judge. You should have gone to Jesus. <laughs> no, what does is, what, what is Jesus say to do? You know this. What does Jesus say to do? What does Jesus do? First, 
1 Timothy 1.12. What does Jesus do? And the rest of you, what does Jesus say to do? What does, what does Jesus say to do? Check the text. That's right. Right. Or First Timothy three would work too. John twenty is good. Luke, he who hears you. Luke ten ten. Matthew sixteen eighteen. You can. Well, just look him up. Somebody look up. Matthew sixteen eighteen. John twenty twenty six. First Timothy one twelve. First Timothy three. Matt, Luke 10.10. 10. Wait, let's find them all. I can't remember what I said, but we'll, we'll think of it. Okay, wait, wait, wait till everybody stops. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I, I need to look at that. I might have had the verse wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's great, isn't it? It wasn't what I was aiming at, but I'm glad I hit it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was right there. Wow. Hold on. Seriously? Mm-mm-mm-mm. You know, it's funny. I, I'm disadvantaged in any... Um, yeah, I did get it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. John 20, 21. I got to 26, but it's all right. Okay, so here you go. So here's the question, very simply. You say this is what Jesus wants. You say this is what Jesus wants. One is A, one's anti-A. How do you decide? Good. Read your text. Good. Right. What's the text say? Perfect. The literal Greek says, put me into the ministry. And then earlier in Galatians, if you were at the Eucharist this week, I'm not saying that because you weren't there, you're normally there, but earlier in, the, earlier in the week in Galatians, we read the text, we weren't that happy, but, but we read the text that comes up, which Paul says to, the same Paul who says, I was put in the ministry, says, and anybody who disagrees with me can castrate themselves. Which is, if I said that, you'd call AOR back, right? So basically he's saying, hey, you didn't agree with me? Get the sharp knives out. That's what he says, Okay. So one is, there's a ministry. Two is, there's people put into it. Who's got Luke 10.10? 10, 10.16? 10, What's it say? Anybody got it? Yeah. There's, that's good enough. That's all I can stand right now. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. So if you hear your pastor, you hear Jesus. And if you reject your pastor, you reject Jesus. So there's a ministry. There's a pastor put into the ministry. Jesus says, if you hear your, hear, hear your pastor, you hear me. If you reject your pastor, you reject me. It's getting dangerous now, isn't it? Read 2021. Stop. So if there's any doubt, what Jesus says to the disciples who then put pastors in place after him as they died, which is, I'm sending you... Um, and when I send you, you do what I do, which is to bring peace. So the end is not to destroy people, it's to bring peace. What else do we have you look up? Do we do any more? 
ooh, I don't think I want that right now, although it's not impossible. No, I, no, 1 Timothy 3, which is, you don't have to read it, but it's actually a description of what the bishop is. I can give you one more. Somebody turn to the last chapter of Hebrews, which I, you know, this is the thing I'm, I kind of, you know, I, I probably will brush up. This is the one thing that St. John can't swallow, and I'm really trying, it's in the catechism, and it's right there, and I feel unfaithful because we haven't ever caught it, and yet when we even, even breathe next to it, people break out in hives and call the bishop. Um, so, but the last, it's like Hebrews 13, just at the end, 7? How many verses in Hebrews 13? 23, you know, 25. Yeah, I mean, read... I would just, all right, so I just, I mean, listen to this. Obey your, it's pastors, actually, mine, is, mine says, obey your elders, obey your pastors, and, and submit to them. It's the same word that's used for marriage. Obey your pastor and submit to them. Why? Because your pastor's so smart, because the pastor gets away. No, watch this. For they're tireless in their concern for you. Now, here's the payoff. As men who must render account, and that's your final answer. Let it be a happy task for them, not pain and grief. It doesn't do you any advantage to always bust up on your pastor, which is what the text says. So here's how it goes. How are you going to decide between two people? Christ is here. When he leaves, he leaves his office. When he leaves his office, he puts men into it. When he puts men into it, he says to the church, hear them like you hear me, and if you reject them, you reject me. He says to pastors, bring them peace. He also says to parishioners, obey them and submit to them. And here's the thing. If I get it wrong... I don't have to answer to you, to AOR, to a voters meeting. I have to answer to Christ. On the last day, my judgment will be very different than your judgment. Because I have to answer for every person I've ever pastored, every person I've ever communed, every person I've ever baptized, every person that's ever been under my care. There's a separate line for pastors. It's like, it's like that $10,000 line in Russia, Carol. Where we went to, where Carol and I went to Russia, I had $10,000 strapped to my leg. There's the normal Russian line. And then there's a line that says, in Russian, honest to God, if you have more than $10,000, you have to go in this line. There's nobody in that line. There's three guys with machine guns and a lot of tough-looking guys on the other side. <laughs> so it's sort of like you can't speak Russian, but you go, I've got the money. Wait for me on the other side. I'll be right there. I'm coming through. Like, this is so stupid, you know. Ah. You're a nice woman, Carol. You did what I asked. And look, you're here to talk about it. So I guess the Lord does bless everybody. So the point is, one of the most difficult, and this happened the very first day, it was crystal clear, it was the very first day, the very first day I was here, actually this Bible study, I think met this day on Friday, my very first day, I walked up, and a woman came out the door, I had no idea who she was, she put her finger in my face about this far away and said, I don't know who you think you are, but I teach the Friday morning Bible study, and you are not welcome, you will never come down the stairs. And she just kept walking. I know you think I'm making this up. And I, I, I just sort of like, hey, welcome to Wheaton. Good to see you. Within the first month, somebody came and sat down with the Bible and said, I don't care how many degrees you know, or if you've been to seminary, or if you're ordained, I can read the Bible just as well as you. I mean, that was, I'm serious, this is the kind of, so the overriding thing here, what was happening was, it's basically your question, which is there's no, Authority, even the James Paul Bible study that we tried to do, which some people really got there, you know, and maybe we didn't, I've said, maybe we didn't do it as well as we might, but here's basically what happened in that Bible study. Danning and I could see it coming. We said, what shall we do? We said, when, you, when, when it's coming at you, you do one thing, you obey Christ. 
you jettison everything else and obey Christ. And we taught a Bible study on obeying Christ. And you can go listen to the tapes. I've listened to them too. Yeah, there were times where we didn't make it all the way clear. But basically what we said is, we got a lot of trouble coming. When we had a lot of trouble coming, you obey Christ, which people translated into obey us. And then, you know, the famous words that people who left us said, you know, I'll obey no man, I'll obey no pastor. Well, here's the thing. Read Hebrews. I mean, you may not like it, but there it is in the text. And if you clip out all the text, it's like, it's like St. Augustine says, the only people who don't believe the sixth, the only people who think the sixth commandment is, is figurative, thou shalt not commit adultery, are people who are committing adultery. <laughs> the only people who don't obey their pastors are, are, the only people who say you don't have to obey your, that they don't have to obey their pastors is, or think that's figurative, is people who don't obey their pastors. Now, it's two months figuring out what obey means, so I'm not going to tell you what to have for dinner tonight. Obey for me means live within, I mean, we told you what obey is, which is live within the Ten Commandments, live within Christ, and you can take it or leave it because there's nothing I can do for you, and frankly, I don't care to do anything for you. But I have found it striking between the people who beg for spiritual care. Like, you know, I've told you, and I still struggle, that I can't find, I've worn out my two confessors and they're going to die, and I can't find a third confessor. I still struggle that I can't find, of all the pastors in the Lutheran Church, you know, I can't find a guy to hear my confession on a consistent and knowledgeable basis, you know, as opposed to other people who say, no pastor will ever hear my confession. Or, you know, among the other things I've heard is, Gaining and I have a secret plan to force you all to confession before you can commune at the new place. In fact, someone actually claimed to have the floor plans that we'd secretly drawn up with seven confessionals, and you would have to sign up. <laughs> so when this came to my office, I just said, perhaps you can produce the floor plan for me. That would be great. It was a roof. Yeah, the li- yeah we got the lie detector. It's the whole thing, man. So, here, so here's the thing. I mean, for us... Um, all we're trying to do is do what Jesus told us to do. And the answer is, do what your pastor tells you to do. Now, it's, pastors can go bad. Come on. One of my favorite margin quotes is the one that says, it's a great quote, and then it says, the Pope to his daughter, Julia. Okay. That's great, man. I love that. Just puts everything in context. Excuse me. I'm just like, that, that's great. I mean, because, you know, it's a great little, it's a great little piece of pastoral advice, and it says, the Pope and a letter to his daughter, Julia. Okay, it can happen. But the thing is, you just say to yourself, huh, you're telling me there's a chance. So you just say, you know, go. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, that's right. Good. Brilliant. Absolutely. Good. Sure. So I have, so I have two answers for you. Two twos. And two two. The bishop, the archbishop, who led the charge. So, who wa- Tutu, who won the day. Archbishop Tutu, who won the day. So one answer is, one answer is, it's not, it's not and, I've, and I've tried to say this, so I want to agree with you, which is, um, because you're a pastor doesn't make you right. Okay, so I just want to, so I want to agree with you. And the Lord does provide faithful pastors. And the final thing is, is, you know what? Those pastors will answer to the Lord on the last day for apartheid and all it was. And 
Well then, but here's the thing. Um, you'll have an excuse, if you will. Um, I did my best and then I did as my pastor told me, which is very different from doing exactly as I told me. So you're, I mean, you know your way around the scriptures. So here's the thing. You need some combination of the, the noble Berean, who, it's that 10 or 13 or 17. It's in there, 10, 13, 17. Where Paul says, when I preached, I liked them because they got their Bibles out. But he said they were the most noble of all the listeners because, you see Berean bookstores, that's why. They were the most noble of all the listeners because when I preached, they looked at the text to see that I was preaching what the text says. But Paul's also the guy who says, if you challenge me on this, castrate yourself. So there's something in between those two things, right? Which is, you're a thinking human being, Learn as much as you can, pay attention, go to the Eucharist, and try to live your life fully, right? And then the other side is um, the raw challenge, which is I'm smarter than everybody. Here's the thing. You may, may or may not like hierarchy, but the glorious thing, and, and here's the thing. Lutherans never said you couldn't have a pope. They just said you can't have a pope who makes you work your way to Jesus. The glorious thing about a hierarchy with a pope is everybody else is accountable to somebody else. Priests are accountable to bishops who are accountable to archbishops who are accountable to cardinals who are accountable to the pope. And you remember that when he's elected, he goes into a small chapel called the Chapel of Tears and weeps over the fact that he's been elected because now he has no pastor. Right? Really? Thank you. Great weird gray be in heaven. <laughs> you have a Kool-Aid recipe right there. Are you talking the literal drink the Kool-Aid? We're talking the literal drink the Kool-Aid story, which was a pastor story. Okay, good. Yeah. Right. Run into the jungle. Because, because here's the thing. Right. Because you serve God, not man. So here's the thing. If you're a pastor, this is how children get abused in the church by priests. I mean, this is very, it's a very simple thing if you want to abuse a child or even a distraught woman or a distraught man. It's very easy. People come, they're distraught, you're in a position of authority, you say, and wouldn't this be good too? And people get it all bundled up in one thing, and it just goes horribly wrong. Yeah, so you just have to hear what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying to you is the office has, there's only so much in the office. You know, it's Christ. So here's, here's the thing. You obey your pastor in anything that falls inside Christ and his cross. Anything that falls outside, you should run screaming to your bishop, if you had a bishop. But if you run screaming to the bishop about something not inside Christ and his office and his cross, you should come running back screaming for repentance. <clears throat> Look, yeah, here's Christ, okay? here's me, here's you. If I ask you to do anything inside here, your proper response is fantastic. 
If I ask you to do this, steal from the Sunday school offering, drink the Kool-Aid, meet me someplace without my wife, I'm being dead serious with you. If I ask you anything here, 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 your first call is to the bishop. Now, if you're unfortunate enough to be in a church body that doesn't have a bishop, what will you do? Like, let's say you're just in a normal Bible church where the guys are God to himself. You're pretty jammed up. And you might have elders or something, in fact. This is exactly why you have a bishop. So you have somebody to go to. My point was, if I ask you to do this and you go to the bishop, God bless you. If I ask you to do this and you go to the bishop, it's on you. Right? Okay. So it's not, this is not check your brain at the door. This place has never been a check your brain at the door place. This has been a place of come to Bible study 10 times a week and go to confession and go to the Eucharist and listen to sermons and try to figure it out and write sermon notes and go to the members about six months long. And we've never, ever said check your brain at the door. We've never, ever said, because I'm the pastor, do whatever I tell you. <clears throat> well, twist would be out here. Right. But that can't happen by force, because otherwise it just becomes, at the end of the day, otherwise it just becomes a he said, she said. You should obey me, I'm your pastor. I'm not going to obey you because I think of myself. You should obey me because I'm your pastor. I'm not going to obey you because at the end of the day, here's the thing, at the end of the day it has to come under the gospel, which is you say, may I please have some care in the way that you went to your doctor for whooping cough. So you can go to your, it's, the, the physician analogy works very well. That's why pastors for a, a thousand years were called curates, people who cure souls. Right? You go to your doctor. He does all this stuff for you. He says, you got whooping cough. Take this, do this, try not to do this. You can either say, thank you very much, and get all the vaccines you can, or you can ignore that and be on your own. It's exactly the same way here. You come to us and we say, here's how you care for this. You can either say, thank you very much, or you can go on your own. What you've observed is people go on their own, and tons of them ended up out here. Because real honestly, the Christian life doesn't come naturally, and actually going to seminary does count for something, and actually going to confession for 25 years counts for something, and so does listen to people give confessions, and so does like standing right here trying to keep your balance and not fall in, and so does First Timothy 3, being faithful to your wife, managing your family, trying to live within the boundaries of what it means to be patient with people, at the same time trying not to let them die within their own sins, at the same time trying to give them, and at the same time to do that while there's all sorts of children of Israel who would just like to worship other guys and go back to Egypt where the cucumbers come out of their noses, it's so good, right? There's just one story in the scripture, it's this story. So the bottom line is you can choose to be what kind of church you want to be depending on whether you're listening or not. The problem with Wheaton is everybody's white, smart, relatively affluent, competitive, can't admit they're wrong, knows more than everybody else. So when you have a voters meeting, you have 500 people who are all, guess what, the smartest person in the room about everything. They're all, it's the most amazing congregation. The most smartest person in the room about everything. And the thing is, someday when I'm gone, do you know how you get a perfect pastor next time? It's really important. Pay attention. You start with a perfect congregation. You get yourself a perfect congregation, and then you'll be able to call yourself a perfect pastor, and it'll be a marriage made in heaven. But until then, you bunch of sinners, and us a lot of sinners, 
you just have to figure it out the long gospel way, right? Which is the forgiveness way, which is to name evil for what it is. You probably should read the text. It actually is more comfortable maybe than I've been. Um, back to Psalm 3. Psalm 1, um, good and evil. Psalm 2, Christ and evil. Psalm 3, you and evil. I cry aloud to the Lord. He answers me from his holy mountain. That's the temple, right? Where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the Ten Commandments are, where the presence of God is. Holy mountain is Zion, right? He answers me from the temple. I lie down to sleep. Guess what? I can sleep at night and I don't need drugs. And I wake up in the morning for the Lord and upholds me is the Hebrew word for this. Okay? It's also the word for strengthening, but it is the word for this. Upholds me always sounds like he's making you run for office, but it's, it's this. So why can you sleep at night? Because the Lord is doing this to you. I will not fear the nations in the myriads, doesn't matter how many they are, who sat on me from all sides. Rise up, O Lord, save me. Covenant word, he'll always stick by you. He'll never betray you. In capital letters, L-O-R-D, it means he will never betray you. Save me, because he's made a covenant with you. Save me, O my God, thou dost strike all my foes across the face, break with the teeth of the wicked. Thine is the victory, O Lord. This is the end of the, certain, the stuff we've been doing, evil into anger, into growth, into hope. How do you have hope even in difficult situations? Because the Lord will get it done. Thine is the victory, O Lord, and may thy blessing rest upon thy people. I did, in fact, miss the third verse. Um, thou, O Lord, art shield to cover me, thou my glory, and thou dost raise my head high. Uh, so part of that is you have this safe space that God inhabits. So when he says, yeah, so I'm here, you cover me up like this, and then you put this cloud of brightness, incense, glory, smoke, holiness, and I'm that, then I sleep within this place. See? Why can you sleep? Because you're all good. That's good. You're protected. That's great. So, um, you know, try to speak for Christ. Try to live as Christ. Try to do what Christ does. That doesn't mean you're off the hook. You have to name evil for what it is, but you've got to make sure you're right. That's how you come, come Sunday, we'll go through the Ten Commandments. Maybe we haven't done that enough. You've got to name evil for what it is. It can't be peak, and it can't be opinion. It is what it is, and um, you sort it out the way the church sorts it out. Um, you know, honest to God, there's authority in the church, and that's the way Christ set it up. And You'll answer um, to the Lord, and I'll answer to the Lord for how we all fulfilled our stations in life. And then, you know, the chips fall where they fall. And just having said that, what I'm not saying is you're going to go to hell or I'm going to go to hell or people who challenge me are going to go to hell. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is a church creates its own reality. So the more objectively we agree on what's right and all are blessed by that, the better the church will be. The more subjectively we scatter and have 2,000 or 4,000 points of view and all argue with each other, the worse it'll be. So in a church, you create your own reality. My own hope, I've not said this out loud, but I'll say it to you from the AOR thing, I think the best thing that can happen out of the AOR thing is if we become the sort of church where people learn to actually honestly reconcile and forgive rather than be the sort of people who, A, persist in sin because they didn't get their way. Well, AOR must be all wrong because they didn't agree with me. Or B, flee. That scatters community. The other way is, wouldn't it be nice if we could be the sort of church that could live in confession and forgiveness and kindness? Wouldn't that be interesting? Right? That'd be, that'd be the way to go. And that's what you want to work at. 
so kind to everybody, and that's, that's where you want to go. And it's going to take some practice. You gotta say, it takes practice to say, even with your wife, although you know I'm well practiced at this, how often I say to you, you're wonderful and I'm sorry. No, you're not supposed to say, mm-hmm. You're supposed to say, oh, my goodness. It was all going so well up to then. It was all going, it was all going so well. You know, it takes practice to, but I've, the last thing, and I may say this Sunday too, one of the things I, that strikes me is part of the reason it's so hard for people out here to say they're sorry is that nobody's ever done it. If you do it once in a while, you kind of get used to it. No, that's the, see, that's your big screw-up. You're a perfect congregation with imperfect pastors. Apparently something went wrong in the call process. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, you know, if we, if we, this is how it is with you and Doug. I'm not going to you anymore. Uh, oh. If you get used to saying you're sorry, not in a way that you always excuse bad behavior, there's a, there's a middle spot where if you get used to saying it, when you can have the humility to say you're sorry, and you can do that on a regular basis and do it honestly, not as a pious person who's confessing every last thing, and not as somebody who doesn't do it at all, or only does it you know, when somebody's lopped off somebody's arm with a machete, but somewhere in between there, if you can get used to saying that, it's your life. Your life just so much better. It just is so much better. Because we can lose the illusion of being perfect, and we could also lose uh, the demand to kill our enemies. Both of those are heavy burdens to bear. So, well, I didn't think we were going any of those places, but there we went. So, it ha- what happens, happens, all right? Okay, let's pray. Um, actually, if you can come Sunday, uh, you know, it'll be old stuff. Maybe it'll be new stuff. We'll see. Remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks.